Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. All right, here we go. Again, Bob, love it. I'm glad we're past the birthday episode. Ooh. So yes. it is not our most listened to episode at this point. <laughs> hey, but we had fun putting it together and editing it. And hey, I just want to say happy birthday to the Replant Bootcamp. We are now entering into year two. Yep. And, uh, we're excited about it and we're learning lots. And Jimbo, fall has broken here in St. Louis. And the Arkansas Razorbacks are atop the SEC leaderboard right now. If you go to SEC standings right now, you will find that the Arkansas Razorbacks are sitting on top. You haven't played a game. Nobody's played a game. And the only reason we're atop the leaderboard is because A starts the word Arkansas. Yep, yep. And so it's just a sweet little thing for you guys to enjoy it for a minute, see what it looks like <laughs> to have the name up there. Hey, I don't think Arkansas could win a football game against Jay's truck driving school. I just don't think it's possible. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. SEC starts this Saturday. Yes. Ed O. Ed O. Ed is going to be leading the uh, Go Tigers. Go Tigers. He's going to be leading the Tigers on. And, hey, your boy Joe Burrow, he's not doing too bad. No, he's doing pretty well. He's uh, so I'm excited. And and my my Saints gave Tom Brady his first loss as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. So that's a win. That not only is it a win because the Saints won, but you also got to watch Tom Brady lose. Well, Bob, I think something for us to talk about over the maybe the next several episodes is how to lead change. Maybe this is one that the Arkansas Razorback coach needs to listen to. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> how to lead change in a church. And here, here's why I think this is a good time for us to think about this. I think we are far enough into the two-week period that was supposed to flatten the curve to realize it's not a two-week period. No. And I think a lot of pastors I know have reconciled their soul to the fact that this is just something we're going to have to deal with for a while. Even if you're all the way fully back open, most churches I know, not all, but most churches I know are, are still really kind of struggling with the impacts and implications of COVID, whether that be economic, attendance, morale, or all sorts of things. And so most guys are kind of figuring out how do, how do I adjust and figure out how to keep moving forward. And in that, some guys are figuring there's some things that we need to change. We can't continue to do the same moving forward. And so I think thinking through a clear process on how to do that would be helpful. Absolutely. What is our new, the new set of circumstances are becoming clear to us. And I think a lot of guys are ready to roll the sleeves up and attack them. It's not time to continue to wait around hoping that next week's going to bring a change. It's time to actually do some work right now, some hard work. So I think this can be a great series of podcasts for us, and we hope they're encouraging to the guys that are in the trenches. There's a lot of resources out there on change leadership. I mean, effectively, ministry is leading change, right? Because we should never stay the same. 
maintaining where we're at is not spiritual growth. And so at some level, we're always trying to lead change in some way. So there are a lot of resources that we're going to pull from as we talk about this. So John Cotter is kind of the godfather of change leadership out of Harvard Business Review. He wrote an article called Leading Change, then a book called Leading Change. He wrote another book that if you want like a fun cartoon story version with pictures and you don't want to read a Harvard Business Review book, uh, you can read Our Iceberg is Melting by John Potter, which tells some stories of penguins and icebergs, and, and it communicates a lot of these ideas in a really easy-to-read format. Uh, and then I think like in the 90s, the Leadership Network did their own version of that. They took what he wrote and called it Leading Congregational Change. And then Tom Rainer did what Tom Rainer does so well and codified all that information into a little pocket-sized book called Who Moved My Pulpit, in which he makes some adjustments to the change leadership process as well. And he condenses that down into eight steps as well. And I think these models give us some information that we can build that off of, and we'll kind of add our own flavor to it as we go. So today... I'd like to cover the first two steps. Stop and pray. A season of prayer would be step number one, a season of prayer. Step number two would be to define and confront reality so that you can communicate a sense of urgency. These two are not only sequentially preeminent in the list, I would, I would even argue philosophically, these are probably the two most important steps that you could take. Consider it the revitalization or replanting two-step, right? It is like the, this is what you got to do, right? Before you, you go. So thinking about the first one, stop and pray. Is there, is there just a one that's almost the beginning of that even is to go, oh my gosh, we got to pray, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's the recognition of, okay, we we should probably stop for a moment and pray. Yeah, because if you look around a church that needs to be replanted or revitalized, you're going like, dude, this is way more than I've got in the tank. Mm-hmm. And if this thing's going to turn around, it's not going to be by force of personality and my preaching and all of the giftedness that I bring to the table. Like we're in a situation where we need God's intervention. That's a great foundational step because it is admitting I can't do this in my own strength and strategy. It it is, it is an admittance, not only from you as the leader, but from you as a leader to the congregation. Hey guys, this is not something that we can be cool enough to pull off. This is not something we can pull off strategically. This is not something that we can market our way out of. This is not something that we can, whatever this, I mean, this is something that requires a movement of God. And Bob, you can historically find the correlation. You will never find a major movement of God historically that was not preceded by fervent prayer. Absolutely. And when we try to lead a church forward on our own, we're going to struggle and it's it's not going to happen. And I'm thankful for that in the sense of it really doesn't depend on me. And yeah. I'm not the one who makes things happen. I remember, and I, I would ask you this question, What is the first incident that happened in your replant journey that made you realize, I better start praying? Because I know mine. Mine was before I even started. (laughs) So two things in particular that happened the weekend I was here preaching in view of a call. I was supposed to preach Sunday morning 
And then we have a luncheon after church for them to ask me questions. Saturday night, we're in the hotel with three little children. And I go to bed around 10 o'clock. And about 1045, child number one starts throwing up all over the hotel. About 11, child number two. And then about 1115, child number three literally vomiting over the entire hotel room. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I should have known that what I was walking into was difficult. And so Audrey and my sweet wife was really trying hard to like, just no Jimbo, you just sleep, just sleep. I'm like, I can't sleep. There are people (laughs) vomiting four foot from my head. (laughs) There's no way I can sleep. She's like, look, you got to go to Walmart. You got to get me some cleaning supplies. We got to clean up this hotel room. And so I make a midnight run to Walmart. <laughs> buy a bunch of cleaning supplies, come back, clean up. We end up barely making it through with any sleep that night. Uh, God had provisionally sent, it's a whole other long, amazing story. Two of our closest friends from New Orleans surprised us Saturday to, just to be supportive and drove all the way to Jacksonville. And so they said, let us sit with your kids while you go tomorrow to church. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so they sit with the kids. And so the church is expecting us with our three kids and everything. And Audrey and I come in sleep deprived and no kids and tell them, Oh, the kids are all vomiting. You might want to keep your distance from us. Who knows if we have it, whatever. Great start to everything. Uh, so I preach, we go to have lunch and then, a lady walks up to me. Now, unbeknownst to, here's the backstory to understand why this lady walked up to me. Unbeknownst to me, I knew nothing. The mother church that took on our church had communicated to them that they would no longer continue to operate the WMU within the budget, the Women's Missionary Union. I, you have to understand, I, I, did not, I had no awareness what a WMU was prior to this, much less that there was some sort of agreement that there would be no WMU. And so we're at lunch, I'm smiling at everybody. And this senior adult lady walks right up to me and just goes, what do you have against old women praying for missionaries? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank you, sponsoring church for that wonderful setup. She didn't tell me her name. She didn't like, <laughs> I was like, uh, nothing. I have nothing against people praying for missionaries and she goes so you don't mind the wmu meeting and i was like hold on i have no idea what we're talking like i would need to know more information i have no idea i'm not gonna get like i thought i almost said you're not gonna trap me in a question like this out loud (laughs) i said it in my head then i was like um i mean i don't mind you meeting and praying about missionaries as far as a wmu i would have to talk to our sponsor church and figure out what they've, what sort of things they've made with you. And she was like, well, all we want to do is meet and pray for missionaries. And I was like, okay, okay. I mean, you can do that. I'm not going to stop you from meeting and praying for missionaries, (laughs) but I pretty quickly was like, okay, all right, I'm going to have to pray. I'm going to have to be in, in in, led by the spirit in this, in this work. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, um, when I realized our replant, our revitalization was going to be a matter of prayer, I went out to, to uh, lunch with both of the staff members, part-time staff members, not, not together, but individually. And uh, the first one I met with was the admin. 
uh, he was a seminary grad, had been in St. Louis to do seminary, not a not a SBC seminary, but graduated. Then was three years, was just working as the admin for 10 hours a week and looking for churches. And, you know, there's a whole story there too. So I go out to, to a lunch with him and he's telling me about the church. And so he says, well, here's this Sunday school class. And they're the oldest ones in the church. And they don't like the any other buddy, any of the other Sunday school classes in, in the church. <laughs> it's like... Okay. And then he says, and this Sunday school class doesn't like that Sunday school class because they didn't help with the decorate. They didn't help with the Christmas decorations when it was time to de-decorate the church. And so they got offended and they don't like each other. And then he said, in this Sunday school class, they really don't do anything. They're young and they don't really give anything to the church. And so he's telling me all this. And he, and he said, and he's kind of like the org chart of the church really was what it was like the spiritual org chart of the church. Yeah. And then he said, and I'm kind of right in the middle. And, and I kind of relate to all of the Sunday school classes. And in particular, I align myself with the oldest Sunday school class because they, they help my family financially and they take good care of us. Mm. And I thought, brother, I am going to really have to pray. I was like, <laughs> this is what I'm getting into. This is a disaster. Yeah. So yeah. that's yeah. the moment I was like, I'm going to pray for this cheeseburger. And then I'm going to silently pray that the Lord begins to bring revival to the church and helps this guy find a new position. (laughs) It's such a crucial thing to realize that this is not something you have within you to be able to do. This this is not a Disney movie. This is, this is not a look within your heart and you have the answers. This is not Oprah. (laughs) This this is replanting and revitalization. And brother, you don't have what it takes. You don't, you don't have what it takes. You know, it might be kind of like an episode of Hell's Kitchen a little bit, I think. Um, <laughs> a little bit, perhaps, if we're talking about genres of shows or yes. you know, extreme home makeover, yeah. uh, all those sorts of things. But man, it's uh, typically, if you've been in a church or you're going to serve a church and it's been in decline for more than five or 10 years, in most cases, several decades, brother, it's going to be a mess and it's going to require much prayer. Sometimes it might be like an episode of hoarders uh, <laughs> as well. If we're just going to throw genres of shows on there. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, so here's a couple of things when it comes to prayer, some things we do recommend. Uh, one, I would recommend uh, legitimately, I would recommend prayer walking on your own. I mean, coordinate and schedule some prayer walks for the church. But to this day, I prayer walk our whole facility every Sunday morning. Uh, every Sunday morning, I get here as early as I can by myself, walk around, and I unlock doors, and I get things ready. That's one thing I don't want to delegate to anybody else. I want to be the one that does that because it's just a sweet time with me and the Lord, prayer walking over the whole facility. But I'll prayer walk it on my own sometimes as well, schedule prayer walks, prayer walk in the neighborhood and getting to know people while you're doing that. And then I believe there is resources out there by Kentucky State Convention as well as Texas State Convention on, we'll put some links to in the show notes that would be really beneficial for you to do with a 40-day prayer focus for church revitalization with some scriptures and kind of devotional thoughts. That's a free resource for you to use to lead your church in 40 days of prayer. Good stuff, man. I I think the other thing, when we're talking about prayer, we really benefited from having a few folks who are our family friends pray for us, be an external prayer team. 
Mm-hmm. And we could send them unfiltered, you know, requests just to say, hey, could you pray about this situation or this individual that God would change your heart or this, you know, struggle. And it was a, a wonderful and awesome thing to be able to develop a, a prayer team that supported us as replanters and replanter spouse when we engaged in the process. One of the things I've learned over the years, Bob, is that I have a tendency to offer solutions sometimes to people who don't even recognize a problem. And I've realized that that actually doesn't get me very far. And so we have to all agree on the problem first before we can get to a solution. If if, if there were one change leadership thing I could go back and tell myself in the very beginning, that would probably be it that spend a little more time creating a sense of urgency understand, get a survey, define and confront reality, get a good look at what's actually happening, history of the church, current situations and the community, reputation, everything. Really get a a good look at what's actually happening. Kind of a Nehemiah taking a survey of the walls type way. And the resource I was going to say is flickering lamps. Henry and Richard Blackaby have a study called flickering lamps. And one of the things I like about it is even though it's a video study, if you're dealing primarily with senior adults, I mean, it's, it's a senior adult leading them with Blackaby and it's not, and I mean this honestly in a good way, it's not like super cool, polished editing and production with lots of changing camera angles and B-roll footage and and I actually think that's a win because most senior adults don't really care for that. And, and so this is going to feel good to them to watch spoken to them by a senior adult and helps them confront some reality. That's a perfect suggestion. And the reality is most people who are in the declining church and have been there for some time realize that things are not going in the right direction. And there's two, two aspects about that. One is the numbers. And so as you're helping define reality, create a sense of urgency. Man, chart out those numbers over the, the life history of the church. You know, 20 years worth of data and trends in finances and attendance and membership and all those sorts of things. But you also have to do this. You have to get underneath the, um, I'd say the discipling culture in the church. And, and bring that out into the open. For instance, most churches decline because people are not inviting people to church. They're not sharing the gospel. And most of the time they think that's the pastor's job alone. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just call the pastor in. And if he's good enough evangelist and, and winsome enough and involved in enough community and dynamic enough in his preaching, then he'll, he'll reverse our number problem. Right. Well, you don't see anywhere in scriptures where pastors are called to reverse the number problem. They're called to disciple and empower the body and help the body move on mission. Right. And becoming ambassadors of Christ, proclaimers and demonstrators of the gospel, those sorts of things. So in addition to defining reality numerically, you also have to figure out ways to reveal the church's spiritual condition. And you have to look at uh, help the church understand how they're doing as disciples and followers of Jesus. We, we had a couple of surveys that we did with one church and they had had historic decline, a lot of conflict. And we asked a couple of questions. One was, when's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? And their answers were uh, amazing in the sense that only of the 16 or 
or so people that we interviewed, only two had done so within uh, any given time period, any recent time period. We asked him the question, when is the last time you invited anybody to church? Same, same thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody was inviting anybody. And some of them even said, with everything that we've got going on in the church and the conflict that we have here, we did not feel it was a good place to invite our friends to come. Mm-hmm. Those are spiritual issues that yeah. create numeric issues. And mm-hmm. so I would say to the replanter, if you're building a sense of urgency, don't fail to discern and bring forth the spiritual condition of the church and bring that out and help people see where they are. There's some surveys that are good in that, but there are also some surveys I guess I would caution against too, because there are surveys that uh, talk about the programs of the church and, and do you like the programs of the church and are they healthy and helpful and are people participating in them? What we're talking about here is really trying to unlayer the spiritual condition of the hearts of the people in the church, not do they like programs or participate in them. So as you're looking at surveys to discern the health of your church, be very careful and be very discerning uh, about which ones you employ. And maybe you just need to create your own, right? Uh, there are some really good forms. You survey monkey or Google surveys and, and forms where you can do your own and they'll automatically populate them into predetermined percentage graphs and charts and all those sorts of things. But I think the big thing is, how do you help the people understand where they are at spiritually? Because when we're doing a consultation, we roll in there and we said, look, as leaders, you've told us that out of 16, only two of you have actually shared your faith in the last year. Um, How many of you think that that's okay? Right. And they may not answer, but they'll sit there with the weight of that. And they'll see that presented to them visually. And they'll realize, oh my gosh, we've got an issue, right? We've got a, we've got a problem. And so then that's the starting point. Like we're, we're not being disciples. We're not being uh, proclaimers or demonstrators of the gospel. Not just, we've got a numbers problem. Yeah. And depending on the numbers in your congregation, if it's small enough, you could even do some, you know, in-home visits with almost every member, if not every member and, and ask them anecdotally instead of a survey, if, if you don't have too many members, you know, and you can handle the, the load of doing this without sacrificing your family time to do it and just ask, tell me your story. Tell me your faith story. Tell me why, why this church, how long have you been at this church? And I mean, you get, even if your church is too large for you to do that with everybody, you need to do that with some of, of the members and just hear their stories, hear the things, take good notes, ask good questions and, and help people see. And then one of the things that I did here was had a, a series of what we called family meetings where we were just very frank and open and honest and, and had some discussions and talked through reality, talked through the history, celebrated some things, celebrated some legacy things. And, and I would, I would try to find ways to ask questions where they would come to some conclusions about the urgency instead of me as the brand new guy that's young and from out of state communicating some things and try to help them buy into the urgency um, because one of the biggest, the biggest danger to change is complacency, apathy. And so we have to, we have to create a sense of urgency. John Cotter, who wrote the Harvard business review stuff says uh, that creating a sense of urgency was so important. Uh, Even after he wrote leading change, he came back and wrote a whole nother book called creating a sense of urgency because he just, in his mind as a business guy, that became the number one 
most important step. And what I would say is for us as believers and in a church, it's maybe even more significant that we see that urgency, um, that we, we look around. So one of the things I remind our congregation of all the time is within a three-mile radius of our church is 60,000 lost people at the most conservative estimate we could find in all the research we could do is 60,000 lost souls within a three mile radius. That's, that's urgent. That's a big deal. And as a church, we ought, we ought to care about that. We ought to care about what our church is doing and impacting the community and that the school, I told them one of the things that they said shocked them, but they were glad I said it was when I got here, the school next to us, had been an F-rated school four years in a row. And I said, guys, we have to repent of that. That's on us. There should never be a school within a rock's throw, stone's throw of our church that is failing that badly. And so we started getting involved and encouraging the teachers and it became a missional outpost for us that still is a missional outpost for us. And so uh, so step steps one, steps two, step one, is prayer. Uh, Season of prayer, 40 days of prayer, personal prayer, prayer walking, external prayer team, internal prayer team. Uh, You cannot over pray this thing. There is no huge movement of God that has ever happened that was not preceded by fervent prayer. I'm convinced of that. Step two is defining and confronting reality and getting a good, clear understanding of where that what is the spiritual temperature of the church, not just the numbers, um, but the spiritual temperature of the church, getting a good sense of that. And and basically, you need to communicate and get people to, to buy and agree on a sense of urgency. Everybody's got to get on the same page if there is a very real problem that needs to be addressed. And then we can talk about solutions later. Uh, I think our tendency, my tendency is to run in with solutions. We, we got to get to that urgency piece first. Uh, and so prayer and urgency are the two first steps. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.